Welcome to our study of Hebrews chapter 9 here on the Radio Bible Course. Today we begin reading with verse 15. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred which redeems them from the transgressions under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Hence even the first covenant was not ratified without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, quote, This is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you, end the quote. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. In the four previous verses prior to this section, our author has explained that as the high priest served in the tabernacle to represent men to God, so Christ in his death secured an eternal redemption for us by entering the true tabernacle in heaven. Thus, he is the mediator of a new covenant, or testament. The words covenant and testament come from the same Greek word, diatheke. Without Jesus Christ, there would be no new covenant. He's the one who brought man and God together eternally. He secured peace and reconciled us to God, and in that sense he fulfilled the role of a mediator. His purpose was to secure the eternal inheritance for those who responded to God in the Old Testament and those who today respond to his call. The blood of animals sacrificed before Christ's coming included no promise of eternal inheritance. Men of old had only a promise of sin being covered by the blood of the animal. Developing the idea of an inheritance, the author explains how it is possible for those who sinned under the first covenant. A death has occurred that redeems them. The words covenant or testament mean an agreement, an agreement by God with man. Now, when did the New Testament begin? Well, verses 16 and 17 tell us. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Now, we understand this. Your name may be in somebody's will, but regardless of what that person has willed to you, you won't get it until he dies. Now, in the case of the Old Testament covenants, blood marked the establishment of those covenants, and the writer has told us all about that in verses 18 through 20. He explains how Moses, when he gave the people the law, he sprinkled blood on it, and it was the blood of the covenant. 
Now, nothing changed when Jesus was born, but everything changed when Jesus died, that is, when he shed his blood. He was born a Jew, he was born into the law and under the law, and he lived and taught and upheld the law. At his death on the cross, however, he ended the law. Romans 10.4 tells us that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ ended it as a new kind of priest making an eternal sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 7 told us that the law was changed, and believers now are under a better covenant. The new covenant perhaps is better understood by the term the New Testament. But that refers not to the writings, which we call the New Testament, but to the agreement made by God with man, which depends on him alone for fulfillment, just as his covenant with Abraham did. The New Testament, as a book, includes those writings which describe the results of Christ's sacrificial work. The life of Christ in the Synoptic Gospels is not New Testament, Those writings describe his life and teaching before the New Testament, so they are technically Old Testament. When Paul taught the Corinthians about the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11, he wrote that the cup was the New Testament in his blood. From that we can conclude that there was no New Testament until his blood was offered, of course. We must see that the cross is the critical event which took care of sins in the past. It also introduced the new order, or the new arrangement, between God and man. What does this tell us about the difference between the Old and the New Testaments? It highlights the cross as the breaking point between them. Should the Old Testament then end with Malachi? Not quite, if we're going to be accurate. And I say that because the Old Testament includes the life of Jesus born under the law and arriving to fulfill the law. The Synoptic Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke give teaching primarily for Israel, not the church. Jesus concentrated on the Jews. He came to teach them. At one point he said, I have come only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. On another occasion, the Greeks wanted to see them, and he did not see them. Only twice did Jesus refer to the church in the Gospel of Matthew, and those references are to the future church. Consider Matthew chapter 5 through 7, where Jesus said, That except your righteousness exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And what is that kingdom? It's the promised rule of the Messiah on the earth. The old covenant ended when man's sin account was paid in full at the cross. That covenant ended and the new covenant began. And it requires Christ to be in heaven for us. While on earth, he could serve as a king and do things for the people of Israel because they were under the old covenant. What could he do for Gentiles who were aliens and not included under the old covenant? He could offer himself and enter heaven, where he intercedes on their behalf 
and has made one new creation out of Jew and Gentile under the new covenant. Now notice verse 15 of Hebrews chapter 9. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant. There was no new covenant until the mediator came and did what he needed to do, and that is bring about the mediation. He reconciled men to God when he died, and he did it so they'd receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now the author tells us something else here. He said, since a death has occurred, which redeems them from the transgressions under the first covenant. Paul talked about that first covenant when he went on his first missionary journey to the city of Antioch and preached there in the synagogue. He told the people in verse 39 of Acts 13, Let it be known to you therefore, brethren, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone that believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. That's a reference to the first covenant. Now to the Romans, Paul explained in chapter 3, verses 25 and 26, that Jesus Christ was a propitiation to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he provided remission of sins in the past. And he adds this in verse 26, it was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous and that he justifies him who has faith in Jesus. How could God pass over sins of the past and still be righteous and just? Why did he let men get away with sin? Paul's answer here is that God was just in passing over sins because he knew a payment was coming in full. The animal's blood was like a small down payment that covered the debt. God advanced the mercy like credit for seeing that Christ's death would take away the debt completely. Now the foundation of the New Testament is seen in the words an eternal inheritance. What is an inheritance? It is a legal dispensing of ownership to a designated heir which he receives when the testator dies. Now nothing comes to an heir until the one who made a will dies. Paul described in Galatians, a child, though an heir of all his father's property, is under a child trainer and is no better than a slave. The death of the testator must be established for a will to take effect. In verse 22, the author writes, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. Now, that's an accurate statement that he makes, because there were a few exceptions. One is in Leviticus chapter 15, verse 10, where water is the cleansing agent. And in Exodus 19:10. There was a cleansing of the people by washing their clothes. And in Leviticus chapter 5, beginning with verse 11, provision is made for the poor who couldn't afford to sacrifice an animal. They brought a measure of fine flour for a sin offering. But otherwise, blood was necessary. Now, good intentions, works of kindness, sincere prayers, sympathy, and love 
although these are all very good, could not take away sin, either then nor now. It took the blood, his blood, to pay for sin, because God's law says the soul that sins must die. Either you die for your sin, or believe that Jesus died for your sin. But somebody must die for sin. That's the law of God. And it won't be satisfied until there is a death that fulfills what the law demanded. Now, looking back at what he has written in this chapter, we can conclude this. The author wants these Hebrew Christians to realize that by believing in Jesus Christ, they are under a new covenant, and that automatically means that they are no longer under the old covenant, because a death has occurred which redeems them from the transgressions under that first covenant. Now, that should have been good news to those Hebrew Christians. And it's good news to me and to you, because I'm not concerned about the old covenant. Jesus Christ has put me under a new one, and he has given me new teachings and a new law, and I have him as a new priest. That new law is the law of love. The new teachings are the New Testament epistles written to the church, and we can rejoice in that teaching from Jesus Christ. How many things must a person do to get eternal life? Did you know there's nothing to do? Because God is looking for people who will believe him, not do things for him. This is explained in our free booklet entitled Heaven's Password. Write for your free copy today. Until tomorrow, this is Nick Calafota reminding you that the word gospel means good news. Our address is Radio Bible Courses, Post Office Box 14916, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70898. The website is rbcword.org.